Oh, Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are unshakable, that you are unchanging. Lord, my prayer is that you would increase and that I would decrease. I pray for these young kids as they go downstairs that they could feel the power of the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit would speak to this place today. Let your word be known and let this be a place that gives you glory and honor. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So while the kids are leaving, if you could uh, turn your Bibles to Hebrews 12, starting at verse 25. and We're going to be in the end of Hebrews 12 and just the beginning of Hebrews 13. But also, at the same time, I want you guys to, to put a marker in Jonah. You see, I found out this week that I was going to preach on Thursday. And I told Pastor Bill that I could preach and I had a sermon put together on Philippians 1, verses 12 through 18. And Pastor Bill, the surgery was a little more difficult than he thought and he, he asked me to preach and I started looking at the, the text and it was pretty much the exact same sermon that I preached two weeks ago. <laughs> Apparently trials and tribulations are a common thing in my life and I'm always looking at God's provision in those attributes in my life and and to be honest with you, I, I really couldn't preach this week because I've been doing a commentary on Jonah from one of my classes. And I've been taking classes and getting my divinity degree and I'm almost done. I'm so close. Yeah. I'm, I'm so excited. But I've been writing this commentary on Jonah and it's taken me about 40 hours this week to write it. And I started looking at the text in the end of Hebrews 12 and I started to compare it to what I'd already been working through in Jonah. So that's where we're going to go today. We're going to take this, this text in Hebrews 12 and we're going to use Jonah to help exposit it. And I'm not the guy that, that sees all these signs and different things around, but, but I think it's important that we are aware of the Holy Spirit's work in our life. You see, I watched this movie this week and, and Karen York, she told me about it. And this movie's called Full Count. Now it's a baseball movie, but it's also a Jesus movie. And in this movie, I thought it was interesting how this angel, this angel is among us and he's, he's helping them work through life. And, and, and it was so interesting how that particular part comes up in Hebrews 13.2. 13, and then also like three verses that I wanted to use in the scripture today come up in this movie. And, and it just made me feel like the Holy Spirit wanted us to hear this message today. That the Holy Spirit wanted us to hear Jonah in his story. Let's start in Hebrews 12, verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will they escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. And this text is a little bit confusing, but it's referring to Moses who was divinely instructed by God to deliver God's message. And if God was, was calling you through Moses and you refused, you would not escape the wrath of God. But now, now we have this, this 2020 vision. We have the voice of God Himself in Christ and His blood. And, and how much more is it clear now that we will not escape judgment? You see, these Israelites, they had a tendency to, to think they were superior. That they were better than the nations that were around them. And they leaned on this law instead of on faith. And, and faith is what saves. They believed that God was only theirs. 
Even though when we read the Bible, we look at Genesis 12.3 and we see that, that through Abraham, all nations, all families will be blessed. And it doesn't stop there. We have David. And in Psalms 22, verses 27 and 28, it says that all families will be blessed. And Isaiah, he proclaims in chapter 42 that, that Jesus will bring justice to all the nations. And as we look at Jonah, we see a story, an example of this selfishness and rejecting God's words. He's a great example of disobedience early in life. And then we see this forced obedience later. Jonah has this me first attitude. And as we flip over to Jonah 1, let me start there. Now the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now Jonah is a preacher. right? And God is calling him to do exactly what Jonah was born to do. And Jonah, he disobeys. So many of us, we hear the word of God. And instead of listening to it, we go in the opposite direction. And you say, Zach, I'm not doing that. Okay. When was the last time you shared your faith with someone? You see, Jonah, this guy, he knows the one true God. And he also understands his grace. His grace for those who are outside of Israel. And Jonah doesn't want to go, and there's probably a good reason for it as we read on. We see this is a time frame of 786 to 746 B.C. Jeroboam II is, is reigning over Israel, and there's prosperity in the land. And I know this because I read 2 Kings 14.25, and it talks about this prophet named Jonah, who was the son of Amittai. And both Jonah and Amittai were not common names in the Hebrew And although this is a time of prosperity in Israel, we must understand that, that Assyria is not quite the superpower that it's going to come to be. But that does not mean they were not mean and evil. These people were known to slaughter entire nations. They would cut off warriors' heads and place them on pillars so everybody in the city could see. They would burn and mutilate women and children so everyone could watch. And then they would pile their corpses up. There's this one story about how they took a dagger and pushed it through the jaw of one of the leader of another nation and they tied a rope through there and they drug him around like a dog. So before we judge Jonah, it's understandable that he may have not want to go to this land, to the Ninevites. I even read one story where they would cut off every limb of your body and they would just leave your hand and they would shake your hand before they cut off your head. These are an evil, evil people. I believe that every one of us, most of us in here would go the other way if we were called to preach to Assyrians, to these Ninevites. Man, can we not relate to this? How difficult it is for us to, to speak to the cruel and the mean people in our life, to share our faith with them. It's so difficult to find this compassion for an evil people in this world, but God has called us to do it. You see, we have no idea what God can do when we just share our faith. No matter how difficult it is. And God, He expects obedience. 
But what does Jonah do? What do we do? I mean, Jonah, he books a ticket as far away from Nineveh as humanly known at this time. Nineveh is located on the Tigris River, 550 miles from Samaria. While Tarshish is probably in the southern part of Spain, 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. Jonah. He does this because he understands God's grace and His mercy. So do we, especially if we're believers. Man, He showed it to us. But how often do we forget and, and we're like Jonah and we try to flee the presence of the Lord? Even though every one of us knows that it's not possible. And Jonah, he gets on this boat and he, he tries to even go deeper away from the presence of the Lord. To get away from the Lord and there is no escaping the Lord. I can promise you that. Jonah is just hoping, he's praying that God will not save a wretched people like those in Nineveh. But Jonah forgets that God doesn't need Jonah. God doesn't need us. Our God is sovereign. And that word sovereign is just a fancy word for God is in control of everything. God will can carry out His redemptive plan. Whether Jonah was on board or not. So let's turn back to Hebrews 12, verses 26 and 27. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Man, we try to escape God. But God is going to do what He needs to do to carry out His plan. This text is a little bit confusing also, but it's, it's talking about God's actions at Mount Sinai as He gives the law to Moses. But those people are forbidden to touch the mountain. He warns the Israelites to obey, and some tried. But now, but now we can look back at something different, something that cannot be shaken, and that is Mount Zion, that is the blood of Jesus. And let us not forget that our God is never changing. But He can change things like the weather. Jonah 1.4 But the Lord, He hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, that, so that the ship was threatened to break up. Man, He's shaken up this boat. And He someday will shake up this earth, and there will be a final decision to follow Jesus and trust in the things that cannot be shaken, and that is God. And there will be a time in the future, but for many of us, that time is right now. Man, He is continually bringing people into His kingdom. And if God wants you, He will shake things up until He gets you. And God, He wanted Jonah. But also, I love this part, we see this grace that's, that's bestowed on these mariners, on these sailors. And God, He even uses the disobedience of Jonah to draw these mariners to Himself. If we move forward in the book of Jonah, we, we see these experienced sailors. They're fighting for their lives while Jonah is pretty chill, just in the bottom of the boat. And, and he's not only asleep, he's fast asleep. Right? He's in dreamland, right? He, he has no cares in the world. He's pretty content with ignoring God. 
And these mariners, they have to come and they have to, to wake him up. And I asked us, who is God using in our lives to wake us up? Jonah, he has this apathy. And I fear this apathy penetrates the church. Now this church is pretty good. And I, and I got to take this just a second here. I'm continually talking about how wonderful the people are in this church. I thank you people in this church for being wonderful believers and followers of Christ. This is a good place. But I want to warn us not to grow apathetic. Not to to fall asleep, but to stay focused and alert like these sailors. Stay with me as we fall in this Bible. Right, Jonah does not confess until they cast lots and he, it lands on Jonah and he has no other option. And he tells them that he worships the one true God, verses 9 and 10. And then he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and they said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Man, Jonah is trying to ignore the problem. He thinks, if I can just get away from Nineveh, the Lord will not carry out his plan. But these sailors, they're not too cool with Jonah's plan. Verse 11 and 12, And they said to him, What shall we do? That the sea may quiet down. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. These sailors, they have more fear and respect for Jonah's God than he does. They understand the the consequences of Jonah's actions. And so did Jonah, but he was ignoring it. And before we think this was a selfless act, it was not. This was the the ultimate final act to try to escape God's mission in Jonah's life. And God still, He uses Jonah. He uses Jonah's disobedience to give compassion to these mariners and to Jonah. Verse 13. Despite the fact that, that Jonah brought on this shaken mess by his actions, they refused to throw him overboard. And I love verse 14. Listen to this. Therefore they call out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. I don't know if you catch this. They begin to pray to Jonas, God, for forgiveness. The Lord, in all caps, is is this word Yahweh, which is God's personal name, and it means to be or I am. And God's kingdom cannot be shaken. And they begin to recognize that God is in control. And this word, pleased, implies that, that God, He has this ability to accomplish His purpose and plans. And finally, they have no choice. They throw Jonah into the sea, and immediately the sea calms. I think all these waves are coming down and all of a sudden it's like glass. And at that very moment, these mariners, they listen, they respond to the God and they they hear the word and they understand this, this warning. They give their life to God. They exceedingly 
gave their life to God. And they sacrifice and they give vows to the Lord. And I believe that someday we will see these mariners in heaven. You see, God, he shows compassion on them. But he also shows compassion on Jonah. Because both are saved. The mariners to a faith in the one true God. And Jonah, physical salvation through a supernatural miracle provided by God through a fish. I wonder how often are we mesmerized that God will still put up with you and I. That Christ's death is still sufficient even in our disobedience. Jonah 17 says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So many scholars get caught up on whether this was a fish or a whale or a sea serpent. We worship a God that created the universe. And we don't think that He can send a supernatural submarine? I mean, come on. I mean, creating a living submarine would not be that difficult. And no matter what type of, what type of creature this is, this creature was created for a purpose, and that was to, to save Jonah and to save the Ninevites. And Jonah would someday... He would write to the readers, to us, as we read this text, and and we would learn from it, and we'd understand that our God is sovereign, and He has compassion on those He wants to have compassion on. And what's important in this text, in verse 17, is that there is three days and three nights. And this is a symbolization of Christ's death and His resurrection. He took on all the horrors of all the sin. It was so much worse than being in the belly of a fish. And he was resurrected in life so that we can be resurrected in Jesus. The time in the fish was just enough to get Jonah to call out to the Lord. Our God is never changing, but we can come to him in our time of distress. He's not like so many of us, especially me. Just this week, my son, he's like a ninja. He sneaks into the bedroom, and and I didn't hear a word. And all of a sudden, I wake up, and he's just standing there. And I jump up, and I start to yell at him, partly because I about punched him, and partly because I was scared. And I'm screaming all these things at him, and he just looks at me, and he goes, Dad, I'm sick. He was sick. He just needed help. How are our children ever going to understand an all-loving father when we treat our children like this? I mean, aren't you glad that God doesn't treat us like we treat our children sometimes? Aren't you glad that our God is slow to anger? That our God does not get shaken? He does the shaking and He does it in a way that is so loving. It makes us grateful that we're loved. This is just the first example in this book of Jonah, how God does not change. If we turn back to Hebrews, we see why we should be thankful. 28 and 29, Therefore, let us be grateful receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. 
You see, God, He could have took out Jonah with one word. He could take out you and I with one word. He could take out these Ninevites with one word. Jonah's not all that bad. We went over that. I know you guys are not all that bad. These Ninevites, now they're bad. But the reality is in Christianity, it's not about being good over bad. It's about being alive over dead. And each of these examples is about somebody who's dead without Christ's intervention, without God. In Ephesians 2, 4-7 through says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Scripture, the Word of God, is is consistent in God's rich mercy. These mariners received it. Jonah received it. The Ninevites are going to receive it. And Christ's followers receive it. God, in this, this moment of time, He listens to Jonah's prayer. And Jonah's story has nothing to do with Jonah's work. And it has everything to do with God. You see, Jonah is working against God. And yet God still uses Jonah to share his message of salvation. If we look at Jonah, we see that he's turning to the Lord. He calls out in his distress and he says, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountain, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayers come to you in my holy temple. Man, so many times we're caught up in these storms. And we're quick to anger and we're not slow to anger like our God. And we see Jonah is disobedient, but yet God is there for him. Jonah's like, I totally messed up, God. And now I'm stuck in the belly of this fish, this whale, this submarine, whatever it is. But you, you, God, you bring me out of the pit to life. You see, our God, he will be praised even from the belly of the fish. And as much as Jonah is trying to get away from this presence of the Lord, it is not possible. Because God's presence is everywhere. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And Jonah, he gets this message and he he rides this submarine back and he gets vomited out on the land. I'm sure that was not fun. But I'm pretty sure when he saw that land, I mean, how sweet was that? And he's called to go to Nineveh and he's reluctant. But he's obedient. So often we're so hard on Jonah. But sometimes it's so important to, even though we might not agree with what God's asking us to do, to just be obedient. And you see, some people say that our God is a God of second chance, and that's true. But but aren't you glad that our God is not just a God of second chance? Our God is a God of redemption. 
Like if our God was a God of only a second chance, it'd be like a fourth grader failing his calculus test. And then he says, well, you get a second chance to take it. Well, they're still going to fail it, right? I mean, they're still going to fail that test. But God, His grace, Christ's death on the cross is like a Harvard valedictorian mathematician taking that test for you and His perfect score is the one you get to take in your place. Man. Jonah. He's on this mission. He's not pleased. Not pleased at all. But he's obedient. And in Jonah 3, 4, it says that, that Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Jonah, a preacher, says seven words. Pretty sure that was the first and last time that a sermon has ever been delivered in seven words. How often I wish that I could say seven words and this whole place would be energized and you would have this desire and you would start acting like disciples, like the original apostles and this entire community would be transformed and people would be saved all over and that, and that would radiate throughout our state, our country, the world. Not to mention it would have saved me a heck of a lot of time preparing. And you guys don't see it, but, but in the Hebrew, this is actually a five-word sermon. Basically, he, all, basically, all he says is, 40 days and you are destroyed. 40 days you are destroyed. Why is this important? It's important because this is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that is responsible for salvation. The Holy Spirit is the real preacher in this church. It is not Bill or I. Jonah does not even tell them to turn. The Holy Spirit convicts a city of at least 120,000 people. Matthew 12, verse 41, Jesus is talking. He says, the men, of, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something that is greater than Jonah is here. The people of Nineveh repent. They didn't have this 2020 vision that we have in Jesus on the cross. Jesus is so much greater than Jonah. The Ninevites, they repent, they put on sackcloth, they, they fast. It didn't take a decree from the king. They were already doing it. And the king, he joins in and he, he reiterates the proclamation. This was true repentance. I mean, even the cows did not eat. I'm not sure how that works. I don't have cows, but I'm pretty sure they're eating all the time. But I believe what our Bible says. And they listen to the call of the Holy Spirit. And they are transformed. And they are in worship. And they are thankful for the kingdom the Lord has given them. They are thankful that God did not consume them. God, He relents. Because we worship a God that does not want to consume us with fire. He wants to give grace. But He is also perfectly just. And there must be repentance. And then we see this Jonah's heart. 
Jonah 4.1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. Jonah 4 is where we, we highlight the, the hard hearts and the superior mindset of Jonah and these Israelite people. Jesus says in Matthew 12, verse 39, But he answered them, An evil and an adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. You see, Jesus is saying right here that the Holy Spirit is the sign, and you are too stubborn to listen. But still, still, God does not give up on Jonah. Jonah was like, God, I knew you were going to do this. Why do you think I went the other way? I knew that you would save a wretched people. And God is like, I saved you, Jonah. I had compassion on you, Jonah. You know Psalm 86, 15. You know my words. But you, O Lord, are a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Jonah, do you think this only applies to the Israelites? Do you think this only applies to the church? No, it applies to whomever God wants to pour his compassion on. But Jonah is just mad. This verb displeased here in the Hebrew means that he was mad up to the point of hurting somebody. I don't know if you've ever been that mad, but I have. This is an evil type of mad. An evil type of displeasure. You see, Jonah had just preached the greatest sermon in the history of mankind and and all these prophets of the Old Testament. They said so many more words. I don't know if 120,000 people repented. I mean, there's 42,654 words in the book of Jeremiah. Isaiah has over 37,000. Ezekiel, 39,500. And Jonah does more in five words because he has the Holy Spirit. Doing the work. Jonah's mad. He leaves in the city. He goes up on the east side and he's watching. He's counting down the days. He's counting down the days because he knows that these Ninevites are going to mess up and God is going to bring the wrath and destroy them. But our God is consistent. He's never shaken and he has compassion even on Jonah in this moment. Jonah's calling on God to kill him. And God, what does he do? He produces an object lesson both for Jonah and for us, the reader. I mean, how do you think this story was written down? It wasn't like there was somebody hanging out with Jonah in the whale, in the belly of a whale or a fish. I think that Jonah finally understood the message that God was trying to get across. And God, he gives him this supernatural plant. It grows huge and gives him the shade. And, and Jonah is happy. But then God takes away the tree. And Jonah's angry. He's pouting like a kid when you tell him they can't have any dessert. So often in life, even in the church, we we see our happiness in our surroundings. We base our happiness in our comfort and our satisfaction instead of the salvation of others. God, he so desperately wants us to be consistent like the Apostle Paul if we look at Philippians 4, 10-13, most of us know 4.13. It was on Tebow's eye black. Now it's everywhere. But do we understand that the context is important? 
Starting at verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me, but you have no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned that the secret of facing plenty and a hundred hunger, abundance and need, and I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Paul, he finds joy in all circumstances. And joy comes through God. Happiness comes through happenings. This movie that I watched, my, my life is not going to make my life happy. My happiness in Christ is going to make my life. God, He is going to reach Jonah. He's going to reach Jonah and show him empathy. And I believe that He's trying to reach the church also. I believe the church still struggles in this area. God, He's trying to teach us in this text to to show empathy for all people, both in the church and outside of it. And I love what Hebrews 13, 1-3 says. It says, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality for strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. The story of Jonah ends abruptly. Right? We don't see this lived happily ever after ending written down. But don't tell that to the Ninevites. Don't tell that to the sailors. And maybe, just maybe, Jonah learned from his mistakes. Listen to Jonah 4, 9 through 11. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes. I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. I've heard that out of my kids. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And listen to this. And should I not, pin a, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. I don't know what his thing is with cattle. (laughs) I'll have to ask him someday. You see, we so often we have empathy for the things that affect us. And we fail to have empathy for others. God is saying, look, I had pity on you, Jonah. I had compassion for you, Jonah. Should I not have compassion for Nineveh? Should I not have compassion for those that are in prison? Should I not have compassion for those that treat us terrible? God says, I have compassion for those who do not know me yet. And He asks us, do we? The end of Hebrews 12 and the beginning of Hebrews 13, it coincides with Jonah and God commands us to have compassion on others. I asked, do we see our own lack of compassion in comparison to an almighty God's depth of compassion? Our Lord is compassionate. Our Lord is sovereign. And our Lord expects obedience. 
I love what John Hanna in one of his commentaries that I was looking at this week said. He says, God wants His own people to obey Him. To be rid of this religious sham and to place no limits on His universal love and grace. You see, I filled up the gas tank for a lady on Thursday. And she told me that she had not been back to church because at church, and not this church, but other church, she said that I didn't feel worthy to be there. And my prayer is that this place would never be that place. That people would feel welcome to come into this place and to hear the Word of God and that they would be able to see God's compassion and be changed. And I ask the church, we must guard against the superior mindset, this exclusive mindset, and hold on to the reality that, that human life is important and we were all once dead We were all separated from the love of God and His compassion. And so many Israelites, they took it for granted and the church cannot. God, His people are called out to go to the lost. And we're to do it by holding to these three critical principles laid out in the book of Jonah. The church must lean first and foremost on God's sovereignty. In both the good times and the bad And this must be demonstrated in an overwhelming compassion that is carried out in obedience for God toward others. You see, every one of us has escaped the wrath of God and now we are in His grace and in His compassion. And it is my prayer that with that, that we would all be grateful for a kingdom that will never be shaken. And because of that, we will have a desire for others to have that same gratefulness. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the supernatural, for the death on the cross of your son, for the compassion and the grace. I thank you that you relented, that you did not consume us with fire, but you gave us perfect grace. I pray that we would not Forget it, that we'd continually be thankful in it. And that you would remind us that we have an obligation to share it with others because it is so wonderful. And that happiness comes through you, God. Not through our happenings, but through you, God. I thank you that you have saved me. But I ask that you would not allow me to grow complacent but to continually have a focus on your Son that drives me towards sharing the truth that is in your Word and the truth that resides in each and every one of us and let the Holy Spirit work through us and let the Holy Spirit work in those who have not yet come to a saving grace. I pray this in the loving and the wonderful name of your Son. Amen.